Hi, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor, CIO Australia. In this episode, we get into the vexed subject of the tech skills shortage in Australia. We're hearing more and more about the need for Australia to pivot towards becoming a digital powerhouse, and signs are that we're not doing too bad on that front, especially with the growing number of homegrown unicorns and growing success of established enterprise tech companies. And of course, COVID has brought home the importance of every organisation having capable tech people just to keep the show on the road. According to a report just published by the Australian Computer Society and Deloitte Access Economics, an additional 156,000 technology workers will be needed by 2025 just to keep pace with current demand. And in order for Australia to be a world leader, the company's estimated an additional 388,000 technology workers will be needed by 2025. Our first guest is Andrew Johnson, who's CEO of the Australian Computer Society. Andrew, welcome to the CIO Show. Thanks for having me, David. Now, the ACS Australia's Digital Pulse 2020 report just out has some very interesting findings. No, thank you. This is a report that we've been doing for more than five years. Mm. Um, And so we've had a look at the ABS data from 2019 and been able to identify, quantify exactly how big the tech sector in terms of workforce is. And from 2019, the IT workforce stands at 772,000 in Australia, which is a 6.8% increase on 2018. Ah, that's and that's awesome. more than one and a half times faster the growth in, in other professional services areas. Isn't that interesting? Wow, yeah. Uh, well, really important. It does show that the trends that are towards automation and digitisation have been occurring. We sometimes feel that we're moving a little bit slowly compared to other countries, other developed nations that are... When you look at that amplification of the workforce, there shows there's a real appetite to continue to digitise products and services. Well, it's interesting that, that even with that rate of growth, the skill shortage is still a thing in Australia. It, it really is. And I think the beauty of having uh, undertaken a report over a five-year period, it's always tricky when you try and forecast the future, but we've now got five years of data. Mm. I think the report's been best known for saying there's a shortfall of 100,000 each of those years over the last five years. Mm. Um, but now going back and comparing that to the actual stats, we know that we've underestimated. And so this new number of 158,000 needed by 2025 sounds big. We've, we've had a workforce that peaked um, back in March around 13 million, which is now just over 12 million. Um, as a percentage of the IT workforce, if, if the current growth rates continue, we would expect to see a million IT workers in Australia by 2027. Right, and yet, and yet still a shortage. So I understand that the, and certainly that the ACS and Deloitte are of the view that, that COVID has, um, has released a little bit of pressure in terms of the school shortage this year. That's true. Um, we don't see it as being a significant dip, but certainly from that March and through to the rest of this year, um, if we look at things like international students coming into the country, um, the export market for education is worth $37 billion to Australia and not having a, a large number of students in country means there's less spending, not just in tuition fees, but their, their, their living uh, expenses, entertainment and the like. That's money that's been taken out of the economy. And um, in that period from March through to June, we saw a lot of organisations feeling unsure about what the impacts of COVID might be. Mm. Um, so anything that was a discretionary spend, such as contractors or contracts that you might have signed, were handbraked, uh, things like marketing and, and training, just so people could get a feel for how big an impact COVID was going to have. Yeah. Again, took a lot of spending out of the equation. Again, in Australia, we've relied heavily on skilled migration to digitise in the last decade. Yeah, of course, and yeah. Our borders closed mid-March, and the estimates in our report is that 35,000 
tech workers will have been taken out of the Australian economy from that March oh. through to the end of this calendar year. Oh, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and presumably those impacts are going to be felt for some time. That's right. Um, while we watch the economy, that doesn't change anyone's uh, annual plans, KPIs and where the expectations of boards are. So there has definitely been a lull and people have been able to cut their cloth to suit to a degree. Obviously, some industries have been really heavily impacted through the closures and restrictions, but that doesn't change the future. We, we know what the future looks like, fourth industrial revolution, and it's those that can execute best. Uh, the, the imperative to transform is still there today. Sure. Now, for those CIOs listening to the program who are, you know, um, frustrated, scratching their heads about finding the right candidates to fill the roles they need to deploy the projects that they're working on? What's your advice to them? Firstly, I, I empathise and understand it's tricky in the current environment. Firstly, in Australia, half the tech workforce don't hold formal IT degrees, whether that's in computer science or information systems. So we've had to historically half, to move fast. Half of them, yeah? Yeah, half of them, that's yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, we've had had some big dips in university enrolment since the dot-com crash in 2000 and yeah. 2K, but uh, it has been bouncing back. But again, at graduate level, we're only talking five, 6,000 Australian graduates are coming out of universities, Australian universities each year, yeah. and that's nowhere near enough to get to that 158,000. Yeah, sure not. Um, yeah. so, so bringing talent in that might not have qualifications that you would like to see has always been part of the mix. Yeah. But in this current environment where we're trying to maximise people working from home as much as possible, it's... Uh, it's really hard to identify talent and then onboard and integrate them as part of your team and, and keep the momentum moving. So I, I understand it's tricky. It is tough and you do need to rely on trusted sources to find your next generation of talent. Yeah. That said, I, I saw an article from Advanced Australia just in the last couple of days and the amount of us Aussies that have um, returned home due to COVID-19, there is a lot of talent coming back into the country who might not have the network locally but yeah. certainly have great international networks. There are talent pools available, but you're just going to have to be a little bit more bespoke in how you go and identify that. So a bit of, a bit of brain drain in reverse, yeah? That's right. Oh, that's, that's, that's very encouraging. We've, we've spoken previously about how a lot of organisations, CIOs within organisations, are now becoming more reliant on their vendor partners. Yeah, and it's, that's always been a critical piece of the puzzle. Um, once you can identify projects to work on and bring in that contingent labour and the, the specialist knowledge but I think in the current environment where it's a market downturn and we all have pressures on reducing overhead and becoming more competitive in, in a tighter economic climate vendor partners are going to be even more critical for knowledge transfer and sometimes it can be easier to say oh, I won't have a resource stay on site or I have an enterprise architect come on one or two days a week but I, I would encourage taking a deeper look and making sure that knowledge transfer from your vendor partners to your current team is always parts of those scopes of work so that you can take ownership of your future roadmap and not necessarily reliant upon others. All right. I mean, in a previous episode of the CIO show, in fact, it was a two-part two part episode, we we got pretty deep in, into the issue of, of women working in IT. I mean, obviously, there's a, a fairly uh, small uh, percentage of the technology workforce of women. I think it's around 20%. What do you, what do you see the, the, the role as women playing in addressing these IT skills gap in Australia? Yeah, absolutely critical. There has been an increase in the overall workforce of participation of women in tech. It's only 1%, went up from 26 to 27% uh, two years ago, and we've sort of stayed at that level. That said, I mean, obviously with 50% of the talent in the population, it's a critical area for attracting broader talent. My instinct is when I look at trends in undergraduate degrees, enrolments and the like, is that that tide is turning and when we start to consider other areas of industry and the convergence of tech 
right throughout all business models, such as in healthcare, Marcoms uh, as another one. I think of course, yeah, yeah, and then Martech, yeah, marketing in general. Yeah, uh, so I think for those the healthcare medtech um, areas are going to naturally increase pretty quickly in the next sort of five year time frame. So it's on the improve. We can always do better, and I think it's important that you know I, I sense the broader Australian population is becoming more comfortable with digitization, technological transformation, where with the NISA side, you know, three or four years ago, it might have been seen as a concern around jobs being lost. But in the in the economic downturn, I think people understand that you need to be competitive in order to sustain jobs and grow jobs, and that technology, specifically technology-related jobs, offer high, higher paying capacity going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's more people willing to embrace a, a technological career. Sure. Now, I mean, obviously addressing grassroots is critically important. Tell me about what the ACS Foundation is up to. For the last couple of years, invested really heavily in what terms big day in and junior big day in. Uh-huh. Uh, essentially, that's about attracting uh, big day in is, is for high school students in New South Wales. Kids will be shipped in from uh, 20 different schools across the metropolitan area into UTS, into the big hall. We'll have a 1,000 kids a day for two days in a row and they'll get to hear from industry leaders such as WiseTech's um, founder, Rich White, uh-huh. and, and try and inspire um, the next generation with the enabling capability of technology careers. Uh, so that, that occurs on-site at universities so kids can feel comfortable about their environment, um, open their minds to where engineering or IT might take them. Yeah. Uh, the junior big day in is very much a, a hands-on, on-site at a school, play with robotics uh, and coding and the like and, and try and inspire primary school students that way. Yeah, well, that, that, that's fantastic. Very encouraging. Just just finally, I mean, a lot's been made of the, um, you know, the current importance or the anticipated high demand for data science skills. Do you, I mean, is, is that is that a serious a problem as, as people are making it out to be, do you think, that specific area of, of, tech, of tech skill shortage? So at a high-level helicopter view, absolutely. Yeah. At, at an organisational level, I think the challenge is we all know that data can drive new business models. Uh, again, in Digital Pulse, one of the key international comparisons is that saying we, we need 158,000 tech workers in the next five years. But yeah. if we were to have the same portion of Australian workers working in tech as the UK does, uh, that number would actually need to be more than doubled up to 388,000. Mm. So who are your who are your designers, your modelers who can take disparate data sets and start to design data capture and automation? And you need really skilled data scientists to do that. And and this isn't commoditized product. It's doing something Greenfield new for the first time for many organizations that have a lot of legacy systems mm. and talent costs. And so you, it's one of those new initiative areas where you're really not sure what the return on investment is going to be in the, in the foreseeable future. You know you need to transform your operations to automate and to provide better real-time customer insights as well as make the customer experience better. Uh, and you can't do that without great data modeling. Indeed. Andrew, interesting perspectives and interesting times ahead. I mean, great to hear about that work that the ACS Foundation is doing. Um, um, let's let's hope that that yields, um, yields fruit and time, and we look forward to having you back on the show soon. Good on you. Thanks, David. Joining us now is Sharon Napier, who's the ANZ Managing Director of SaaS Provider New Relic. Sharon, welcome to the CIO Show. Thanks, David. Really great to be here. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, now, you've had a number of senior roles in the tech industry over the years. I have. Uh, I've been around for <laughs> over 20 years now, I suppose, in tech. Uh-huh. And uh, I ran, you know, Asia Pacific and Japan for about 10 years and I was running out for CA and a, a couple of other software companies, but more recently 
working specifically in Australia and New Zealand, the companies like Click and now Relic. Yep. You know, during this time, I think that, you know, you, you experience a whole lot of things. You experience things from the, a vendor perspective and mm-hmm. the talent that's in the vendors. And then you experience it from a, a customer and enterprise perspective. And uh, I've seen some, some pretty amazing talent in Australia. Yeah. I think that the tech industry, we've had challenges, I think, uh, attracting people and, and good people yeah. to um, to our industry. And I think that, you know, that's something that, you know, particularly even from a, a female perspective, you know, we, we struggle trying to attract women into the industry. Mm. But when we do, I think that the, the innovation and the creativity that I've seen that comes out of the Australian businesses is, is quite incredible and it's actually second to none in the world. I think a lot of things get incubated here yep. and I think they get leveraged globally by, you know, large organisations. But, yeah, I think the talent pool here is is phenomenal. I I suppose, you know, to the most relevant thing at the moment with COVID, you know, I think what's happened with a lot of organisations that I've seen is there's previously been this very traditional opinion on where people need to be located. Mm -hmm. You know, they need to be in Sydney or they need to be in Melbourne. Um, You know, you can't, you can't provide a service or provide sourcing, you know, in New Zealand to Australia because you're in another country sort of thing. And I think that the reality of the time now is that firstly, there is a very big digital push for organisations. And I think that the talent pool that we've got in Australia has now completely opened up. Right. Um, and and that's really that's very interesting because, because of COVID. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You think about it: the people that are in regional Australia, they're probably you know incredible on their own and probably mm. doing a lot of freelancing to to companies. I think are going to really come to to be a really attractive resource really for a lot of yeah. organisations. Yeah. So I I just sort of think that we've unlocked that a little bit more, and I think that. As a, you know, CIOs or organizations generally need to really shift their thinking and they need to really, uh, I think, move away from that traditional mindset and say, well, look, hang on, people are really productive wherever they are. Yeah. So they could be in Broken Hill or they could be in Alice Springs for all, all they know, but, you know, they, they can be a, a really valuable resource yeah. in the, in an organization. So I think that that is a, that's a really, really interesting sort of situation to be in that we haven't been in before because I know that we've suffered in Australia from uh, attracting talent mm. um, into IT particularly and getting scale, but I think that this is really, really going to help us. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, the sort of the key skills that have that have been highlighted um, throughout COVID, in particular, you know, enabling cloud communications, remote communications, are the same skills that could potentially enable organisations to, as you say, expand the, the pool of available talents. Interesting situation. Yeah, yeah look, I, I actually think that, you know, there's been a bit of a, a pivot to a lot of projects and, you know, we saw a lot of projects in you know, the sort of early days of the year, well, early months of the year, that were sort of being delayed. But I don't think that they're being delayed. I think a lot of them are being rethought. Mm. And I think what we're going to see is the next, escalation of projects that are around digital and around, you know, customer experience and all of that sort of stuff. And so from a CIO perspective, attracting people um, wherever they're located now is going to be really important, Mm. but they're going to be able to, they're going to have to resource up fairly quickly 
because I think those projects are going to actually start taking taking traction very, very fast in the next, I'd say, the next few months mm. and really driving that capability because people talk about the new normal. I don't think we're going to see the new normal for quite a while yet. I think it's going to go through another evolution of what does this really look like and what do people want to do yeah. from a work perspective. Thank you. Yeah, I, I watched something the other day and they were saying that the values of pri- uh, houses outside of the regional uh, metropolitan areas are going up. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a really good indication of people saying, you know, I actually don't want to don't live in Sydney. Yeah. I don't want to live that close to the city. I want to live in Dubbo. Yeah. And I think that the way that a CIO looks at their landscape now is it's great because they now have this incredible pool that they can pull from that they've never had access to before or never never looked at before. And in, in your specific role as the yep. regional head for um, for New Relic, I mean, what, what are some of the specific challenges that you've been um, facing in terms of getting skills or, or, or if indeed you have been finding those challenges? Uh, I think, well, it is always challenging, I think, in tech because it is a very competitive market. But I think that diversity is one of the things that I really focus on. And it's not just gender diversity, it's diversity of opinion, of race, of background, all of that sort of stuff. And I think that that's one of the areas that with the, you know, with the the regional view now, you know, I I certainly will look at people beyond just where they're located in the major centres to get that that even, you know, that tiny bit extra diversity in the business, Mm -hmm. which gives us that, you know, X factor. And I think that that's what we all will actually open up. You mentioned um, you mentioned women earlier. I mean, what 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 role do you see women playing in you know helping this address this tech skills shortage in Australia? I mean, we spoke to the ACS uh, earlier in the program about you know the fact that some hundred and fifty thousand or so new tech professionals be, would be required for Australia to just merely keep up. I mean, what, what you know as as a as a senior woman in tech, what's your take on that? Well, you know, I I'm a mother. Mm. So I've gone through the career growth um, with a small child. I came back to work when my son was eight months old. He's 25 now. But, you know, I actually see a lot of women, even in my business, that enjoying and embracing being able to work from home. And I think that, you know, if we're unlocking a regional perspective during COVID because it doesn't matter where you're located now, I think what we're doing further is we're actually unlocking those those women that didn't want to go to back to work yep. or couldn't go back all the time right. because they had a young child. And I think that that's just another area and dynamic that's really going to become unleashed in the next, well, right now, because that's, that yeah. can fill a really good, a big void uh-huh. in, um, in the skills and, yeah. you know, Bring it on. That's interesting. So more specifically than trying to get more women in tech, perhaps we should also be looking at getting more mums in tech. I like that. <laughs> totally. Totally. I've, uh, I, one of my leadership team um, has only just come back from maternity leave yeah. and it's, it's a great thing. She's at home with her daughter and, you know, it's really inspiring. And I think when we, we look at all these virtual events that we're doing and virtual meetings, you know, the kids play – a pretty lovely role in the, you know, sort of the authentic nature of people now. And yeah. I think that that's a really nice thing too. Yeah. I've, look, I've, I've certainly met a lot of people in tech that are, that are somewhat childlike. It makes sense to me that, that, um, <laughs> that effective mothers might be good at effective managers of them. Sharon, thanks, yeah. so, much, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. And we look forward to welcoming you back on the show soon. 
Thanks very much, David. It's been delightful. Joining us now is Aman Sahani, who's the CIO with Census, which owns Yellow, page, Yellow and White Pages. Aman's previously held senior technology roles in the banking telecommunications industries, as well as four years with Australia Post. Aman, welcome to the CIO Show. Thank you, David, and um, a pleasure to be here. Now, a key theme emerging is that there's a lot of CIOs and other tech employers um, are perhaps a little inflexible when it comes to choosing candidates that may not necessarily tick every box. Now, of course, to be fair, they need to know the person they hire can hit the ground running, often on projects that are very complex and, and, and often mission critical. But in your experience, good people can learn. Oh, look, absolutely. I think it's important to set some context. Um, there are uh, different requirements at different times, right? Sometimes projects um, have um, time criticality associated with them. So you would need certain individuals to come in and join the workforce, hit the ground running. Um, and that's why we have a, a pool of uh, resources available through a lot of consultants, contracting organizations, and so on and so forth, where you can fill that gap. But if you're looking at building capability in IP within the organization, then you're looking at uh, skills um, which span pretty much three domains, if I think about it. One is around execution capability. Uh, the other is thought leadership. And uh, the last one is around people leadership and mentoring your team to be able to get the outcomes delivered. Sure. If you try to look for a unicorn in the industry, you're not going to find one. Um, Somebody who's got, you know, um, has got all the skills in all three areas, uh, it's it's next to impossible to find. So I believe that you can get individuals who fit the bill in in most areas and you've got to prioritize which ones are important to the kind of job that needs to be done. And then you can mentor them on the other aspects. So if I'm looking for somebody to look at my engineering practice, then I'll be prioritizing their execution capability and technical know-how. And then the people leadership aspect can be mentored and developed. Mm But I think one of the key things for me that I look for all, um, um, you know, as part of my hiring decisions is around thought leadership. Do you have a strategic viewpoint? Can you think outside the box? Have you explored the art of the possible? Can you guide the business using technology to get the best outcomes that we're after? I think if you've got that ability and acumen, then the other skills you can, of course, develop along the journey. How do you determine whether a candidate has that? If they're just sitting in front of you, got their CV, and you're 22 minutes into an interview. Well, I think once you've gone through the the foundational aspects uh, from a technical standpoint, then it is about really asking them how they've made a difference. How have they uh, contributed to the success of an organization? Uh-huh. Can they give me any tangible examples of where their individual contribution or thinking outside the box has led to a, a pivot yep. in strategy or direction or implementation that has yielded positive outcomes? And if they can successfully demonstrate that, that is something that I would uh, really look forward to. Sure. Now, we've discussed in the past this this skill will matrix. This is this is something that, that, that you use or you think about when you're recruiting. Tell me a little bit about the skill Correct. matrix and how you think and use it. It's, a, it's something that was introduced to uh, a few years ago. Um, and when we are looking at candidates, uh, we're trying to look at a quadrant right? where if you look at skill being one and, and the will being the other, you can have a lot of individuals with, with high skill and maybe technical skill, but the attitude or the will is missing. Yeah. For, for those individuals, you have to look at, um, you know, maybe a lot of motivational aspects into how you would drive them towards the outcomes you want. Yeah. But individuals who come with a very high will quotient, the attitude is there, the will is there, the drive is there, and they're willing to learn. Yeah. They are the kind of individuals that you can mentor them on, on the skill uh, vertical. 
so that they can give the outcomes that you want. They're the ones who tend to be your high performers because you challenge them to deliver the outcomes uh, which are uh, not standard, not out of the box. This is different uh, because they can um, not just bring technology along the journey, but also bring the business along with them. Yes. And look, so that's why I, I evaluate them on the four quadrants as where they sit from a will and a skill perspective. Yeah, no, I mean, critically important in any profession, and, and definitely no, no less so in in tech. Um, the, you know, obviously, technology, enterprise technology, is so vastly different now. I mean, the, the technologies are, you know, are, are, are far far more available. Um, obviously, we have you know cloud technologies. There's you know all all, all of the technologies that are now um, come to the fore with with COVID. It's a completely different environment, and also the way that we purchase technology and the way that. CIOs like yourself think about budgeting for technology. Does that mean that that the sort of the ideal tech recruit today is somewhat different to the ideal tech recruit of maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago? Uh, you know, has, is is the, the the fact that the technology landscape is so different? How has that affected you know the, the way that we or people like you look at recruiting? Technology is ever evolving and it's a constant, right? And in and, and technology, you know, change is the constant. Um, it is going to happen, um, the, you know, if you just look at 12 years ago or 13 years ago when the first iPhone was launched to where we are today, where we've got, you know, a, literally a, a problem where people can't put their phones down. And that is the evolution which has happened in just over a decade. Yeah. So skills definitely need to evolve. Uh, technical learning needs to evolve. Uh, individuals who have been in the tech domain know that they have to constantly look at uh, self-education, um, certifications, and so on and so forth. But I think the most important thing is having a solid foundation. As long as you've got you know, your, your concepts in place, you've, you've got that engineering foundation where you look at when you're designing and developing systems or applications, you have certain principles which are set in stone like modularity, scalability, extensibility. Those uh, are uh, fundamental to the success of any execution implementation. You can apply those principles to pretty much any technology stack. Yep. And you eventually become a technologist and kind of agnostic of the implementation platform. It's really about how can we utilize the different building blocks of technology today to provide a business outcome and a solution. So having those fundamentals is important. I think the other pieces you can learn. Technology will keep on changing. We just have to keep abreast with, with it. Sure, and and what's what's your take on um, you know gender and, and and cultural diversity? I mean, we've heard from previous guests that um, you know that this is a key consideration. You know, not only for expanding the pool, um, but also for you know uh, building better quality, you know, more more holistic, effective IT teams. Hundred percent, I couldn't agree more uh, with with my fellow CIOs that. It is uh, vital that we get representation from um, multiple cultural as well as um, gender representation. It, Australia is a lucky country, right? We, we've got such a diverse uh, population. We've got uh, multicultural is at the core of what we do. So I think that is something inherently is available across the board for and in most organizations. We we will have resources who maybe you know Australians, Chinese. Indians, there's so much cultural diversity in the workplace. Gender diversity in, in technology is an interesting point. Mm. We traditionally have less representation, um, uh, female representation, correct? Mm. Far less. But what we need to do is encourage more and more. So it, it's not that when we're taking a hiring decision that I'm specifically looking uh, at you know someone 
just because they're male or female or of a different um, sexual orientation which will drive my decision making. I think first thing, it will be all about their, the skill set. Can they actually do the job at hand? And then where does it fit in? You know, we spoke about the will scale matrix. The capability needs to be there. Then I think if I've got candidates with, with similar skill set, then having that cultural as well as gender balance in the team is something that would be a consideration. Sure. Well, Aman, thanks so much for joining us on the show. We look forward to – thanks for, for sharing those perspectives and we look forward to um, having you back on again soon. Thanks so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure, David, and I'll, be, I'll love to come back anytime you want. Thank you very much. Okay, all the best. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. In our next episode, we reprise a topic that once got a hell of a lot of airtime, outsourcing, just like the cloud, became a byword for cost savings. And as most of us know, things didn't quite turn out that way. These days, it appears outsourcing has certainly fallen out of favour. We talk to CIOs and expert analysts on why that is, shifting labour dynamics, more serious consideration of intellectual property, and of course, more broadly, the vastly different, more powerful digital tools and platforms available to organisations today. We hope you can join us.